1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Father, we we bless you for these words. I acknowledge this morning the uh, uh, great amount of emotional and spiritual and physical warfare that has gone on in my life over this past week, knowing, Lord, that in preaching on the love of God seems to be uh, an irritation to the enemy. So help me, Lord, to focus and help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you. And as we walk through this, we ask that you would shape us and mold us and love us. And in your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> One day, a small <clears throat> zoo uh, had a visitor sitting in, standing in a small zoo, and he saw an, an animal exhibit that he noticed uh, that he wanted to compliment one of the zoo, zookeepers about. So he found a zookeeper standing there, and he said, how marvelous, it, how marvelous is it that you are able to put both a lion and a monkey in the same exhibit? How well do they get along? Well, answered the zookeeper, usually okay. But occasionally they do have a disagreement, and then we have to go out and find another monkey. God created lions to act as lions, and as long as lions act like lions, that zoo will always have to get new monkeys. The same is true for us. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created human beings in his image, which means God's created us in a way that everything we think, say, and do should be in accordance with the character of God. Just as God created monkeys to be monkeys and lions to be lions, God created human beings to be humans created in the human image of God. Now, if we were truly honest, we probably don't do that very well. We're not reflecting that image. Our rebellion, our rejection of God, not long after he created us, reflects the image not of God, but the image of us, self. Tragically, that sin didn't just infect every person. It's affected everything in every corner of the universe. It's only by the mercy and grace of our most loving God that he put in place a means by which we would have an opportunity to humbly receive a gift, the gift of forgiveness, of redemption and restoration 
when we surrender our hearts and lives to Jesus as our Savior and Lord. It is then we can begin to reflect the image of God that we were created for on this earth. And it's also at that point we enter into the uh, promise of glory in heaven. In the words of our text for today, we re- God tells us how we can reflect the image of God in the character of his love while we're here on earth. The words we read this morning are from a general letter written by the Apostle John, who wrote it in the late first century to the churches across Asia Minor, which today is Turkey. He was writing these letters to uh, inform them and again to be warn them about the false teaching that was going on in the church. And this one particular is uh, particular to our times too, but uh, what they were fighting in those days was what calls Gnosticism, uh, which the word gnosis in the Greek literally means knowledge. And that teaching emphasized that you could have a special knowledge of a religious kind of mysticism that declared we're not saved by forgiveness or redemption or restoration by God, but rather by, by a special revelation of the knowledge of God that we all individually have deep inside our souls. Now, one prominent revelation of Gnosticism was their denial of the full divinity of Christ and the full humanity of Christ. So what you can see is the problem with false teachings of Gnosticism is the teachings are not revelation that are from the Bible at all. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the churches. I told you it's been going on all week. So. And so the Apostle Paul put this, Paul, Apostle John put this letter together to uh, warn the churches of his day and the churches of our day warning us not to be uh, buying into teachings that are not founded on the word of God. And so John also tells us the bigger part of this is not just knowing the Bible, it's living it out. Living out biblical principles and specifically the image of God in us. What does that look like when it comes to God's love? Um, This is God the Father's mandate. To, that we are to come and believe Jesus Christ. We are, we are to enjoy, in a sense, even obeying him. But even more than ever, we are to, to come together as a group of people and we are to love one another. In 1 John 2.17, John says, whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the things he wants us to do. So when we truly love one another is what we're going to hear today we truly then love God as a precursor. So three times in this passage, he tells us how we can love one another. In verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. We hear it three times. Verse 11, Beloved, if God loves us, so we also ought to love one another. And then verse 12, No man has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. Now, Some of you know when something is repeated in the Bible in this kind of uh, closure together, whenever you see three things said quickly like this in a small space, this is a divine exclamation mark from God. God is saying, listen up. 
listen to these things. This is important to him and should be important to us. This morning he is clearly telling us that he must be, first of all, the supreme love of our lives. He's telling us if we are truly born again, if we truly know God, if God is truly living in our hearts, if God is love inside of us, then we will love one another. In being created, created in the image of God for the purpose of reflecting his glory, we will love one another because God loves us. And God's word reveals to us three times in this text, how do we do this? First, he says we can love one another because God is love. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So the Apostle John here is arguing that we really shouldn't love God because of the things he's done for us. He hasn't said that yet. We should love him most of all simply because of who he is, period. God is love. Now God is, or John is not saying, writing here, telling us that this is an attribute of God. It's not an attribute. Uh, saying God is love is his nature, not an attribute. He naturally is, is, is love. Uh, this is the greatest depth of any kind of uh, nature that he does have. Everything God does, everything God is, all of God's attributes are filled with his love. That's what that means. We can speak of God's love sometimes in activity, like God loves us, or in activity of even when he spoke creation out of nothing. But the essential heart of God's love, love is even prior to any activity that he's done. Even before creation, he was love. It's his nature. The essential heart of that is God is loved by nature. And there's no touch of God, no knowledge of God, no awareness of God that will not have God's love to it. And one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian faith is that our God is a triune God, a God that exists eternally in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now the Trinity in being one, think of this now, loves each other and one another too. So God's, God's had this for as long as he's lived, which is forever. Uh, the Trinity experiences this at their very, very center. And the difficult things here too about God, like his, his judgment and his anger and his wrath, all within those still have his love. All of those things are God's love. There's nothing we can say that is true about God that will not contain the reality that God is love. Because of who God is and because we have been born of God, we are to love one another. So loving one another, again, is reflecting that image of God that we're created in. Now, we look like our parents because we carry their DNA within the cell structure of their bodies. And our DNA contains with it traits and tendencies from whom we were born. So there's nothing we can do about our DNA. Uh, we're born with it. When our God-like DNA is in working in us, what does that look like? It looks like love right off the bat. But also out here, 
shows itself in loving each other and one another. If we don't love one another, if we hold grudges, if we harbor resentment, if we gossip or criticize or act unkindly towards each other, we, we very well may be revealing that we don't have God's DNA. Let that sit for a bit. This isn't like easy stuff. This is real stuff. It's like when Jesus said in Matthew, if you're angry, you've murdered that person. This is this kind of stuff. So what that means, if we don't have the DNA of God, that means we haven't been born of God. Just, just saying what he said. God's love naturally flows out of those who truly are born of God and who truly love God. Now, there are things in life that we call love, which people do, which is not born of God. These are loves that are not born of him, but of, of self-affirmation or personal conviction or sexual desire or natural affection or charitable aspirations. Uh, these are not of God's love because the motivation of these is not about the character of God. It's about us. And if it's about us, it's not about God's love. Love that is born of God is a love that loves one's enemies and prays for them and forgives them even when they're wronged. And they sacrifice to those who appreciate it the least. That's where you see God's love. This is the love that we see in who? We see it in Jesus. A love that can only be explained with, by a supernatural character that comes from God. The most... Uh, the love of the God in this sense assures us that we are born of God. Let your light shine for, for others. This, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now think of that phrase, that verse in the context of love. What this means then is Jesus is saying, let the light of God's love shine before others so that they may see your good works of love and give glory to the, your loving Father who gave those to him. That's what he, we would say in that context. When I first thought about that particular thing, I thought, don't we just long for that kind of love? The kind of love that just is there pours out all over. People see it all the time. A love that, that is from God. Don't you long to have that in the church? Don't you long to have that in your family? Don't you long to see that in the world? There's nothing more satisfying or fulfilling than experiencing the love of God so deeply it spills out all over. It's just a mess. That's the kind of thing that John's talking about here being so deeply transformed by the love of God, by God's love within us, this supernatural love is so supreme, so sovereign, it just spills out. We, we can, we will, and we must love in whatever we do. So we can love because God is love. Secondly, we can love one another because God loved us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In that sense, we hear that God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to earth. And the love of God there was shown in the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on a cross for our sins. And God's love cost God his son. When Jesus was nailed on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins. A holy God turned his back on his only begotten son, who was covered in our sin. And at that moment of separation from his father, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, God's love cost him the life of his son, a life which is offered to us in Jesus Christ, which gives us a new life, which opens up for us the floodgates of eternal life at the expense and humiliation and death of his son. The author Richard Armstrong, in his book, Make Your Life Worthwhile, reported a true story about a man in Wales who sought to win the affection of a lady next door to him that they had been 42 years living next to each other. Uh, Ultimately, after 42 years, she said yes to marriage. But in the beginning, for more than 40 years, the shy but persistent man slipped a weekly love letter under the door of her home. And time and time again, uh, she continually refused to speak to him and to mend a spat that had parted them 40 years before. And after 2,184 love letters, without ever getting a spoken word or a written answer, the man eventually summoned the courage to present himself in person, knocking on his door, asking for her hand, and to his great delight and joyful surprise, she finally accepted. This is our story as fallen humanity. Our almighty God, our our sovereign God, has revealed his love down to us, offered his love down to us for ages throughout all of history, even in our lives today. Time and time again, he tries to get this message of love through us that he had created for us, but little or no response comes from us. Finally, he wrapped up his love in this package in form called Jesus Christ. And because he is the God of love, he broke through history and he broke through the hardness of our self-centered hearts to give us that love. Jesus, who sacrificially came into a sinful world to live among us and live with us and die for us. The love language of the cross is what we have. With every lash on the back of Jesus, with every nail that pierced his hands and feet, with every time that the first time, excuse me, the only time, the spear that went through into his side, each of these acts is a loving demonstration of how God sees love in his direction towards us. Romans 5.8 tells us that God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
not only is this a demonstration of God's love, it's also the supreme expression of Christ's love to all who receive Jesus Christ as their greatest joy. The love of Christ is revealed in the cross as we are wooed and swayed by his heart to know him. And to come and know him is a precious gift, amen? As our hearts are opened and filled with his love, we become his and he becomes our greatest treasure. And of this, Jesus said in John 15, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God is not happy with us having a little love. He wants us to have all of it. John himself writes, God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Here we see that we are objects of God's deep love and affection. He sent his son so we might live through him. Think of that. We get to live through Christ. God has sent him so he's offered us eternal life. Eternal life is not offered to anything else in creation. Have you ever thought about that? Trees don't have eternal life. Animals don't have eternal life. Nothing other than human beings created in the image of God have eternal life. We are objects of that love. He wants to live with us forever. God sent his sin into the midst of the mess of fallen humanity. Jesus didn't stay up in a tower in heaven. He came down in human form to be in the middle of all of this. He faced temptation. He was thirsty and hungry and tired. He experienced all the human emotions that we can think of, happiness and sadness to delight and anger. And He felt physical and emotional pain. God came and got directly involved in our problems. That's how much he loved. He was all in. From right from the beginning, he was all in. He didn't sit on a throne in heaven or throw out cliches about love and death and struggle. He came and rolled up his sleeves and got his hands dirty and his body bloody, and he died for us. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's not our love that motivates God in any of this. God was, we had nothing to do with it. God has sent, sent his son because he loved us. He did this to fulfill, I would call this big, hairy theological word that's sitting here called propitiation, which means literally the removal of wrath by the offering of a gift. Propitiation means Jesus paid our sins by giving us a gift, himself, his life. He took what we deserve. The cross is the loving gift we have by the God who loves us. Ephesians 2 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the, what is it? Gift of God. There it is. We did not do anything to deserve this.
I think often of my, my own life. When you're raised in an abusive home, it's tough to think of love in these terms. None of us deserves that. But we can do nothing to own, get the approval of God, nothing to make God love us, but he just loves us. It's all about God. God loves us because he's love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. John is saying here, I think, how can we not love one another? How can that happen when we have this great love, the sacrificial love? How could we not love one another, regardless of our problems and troubles? The truth is, we cannot call ourselves Christians if we don't love one another. Ouch. We cannot call ourselves Christians when we do not love each other, even in our attitudes and actions. Remember again, Jesus said in Matthew, this is pretty deep. Because God is loved, because God loved us in Jesus Christ, we can't become angry at each other, even if we feel we've been hurt. We can't do it because it's not in our DNA. And if we are, if we do do it, we might not have DNA. Because God loved us, we can forgive those who have hurt us. We can approach those who are struggling with us. We can love even when our love is not returned. We can love and forgive our enemies, our worst enemies, because why? It's in our DNA. That's who we are. Jesus did on a cross. He forgived. He, he, he showed love. But the issue is love, loving like God is risky. Loving like God is really hard. It's hard, hard against our pride. God's love demands much of us. Much more, much more than we are all giving, I think. Sometimes, even oftentimes, God's love really hurts. Really hurts. But that's who God is. God is love. And love is what we need from him. And we need love from him every day, every moment of our lives. And love is what we need to continue to ask for. Otherwise, we're lost in our sin. We just are. When we fail to love, we are still lost in our sin. We can love, we must love each other because God is love and because God loved us. And the third thing, thirdly, we can love one another because God is in us. God is in us. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. He is in us and his love is perfected in us. We must love one another, not just because we're supposed to, but because God abides in us, because he's living inside of us, which means he is alive inside of us, working inside of us. Love is who God is. Love is what God does, which means that's what we do too. Love is at work, bringing us into the perfection, it says, of who God is. When asked what the greatest commandment of all is, what did Jesus say? You shall love the Lord your God 
with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you should love your neighbor, each other, one another, others. And then he said, there is no other commandment greater than these. This is number one on the list of anything and everything we're supposed to be doing. On the night before he was arrested and beaten and crucified, Jesus told his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And here it is again. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God purposed that the world would see his love through us and in us. That's his evangelism technique or strategy. The indwelling presence of God becomes visible only when we manifest love by loving each other and others. There's no other thing that we can do. There's no other thing that we can do that really shows how God loves us. As long as we just love our family or the friends or the people we like, no one is ever going to know that God's love is in us. But when we start loving those who don't care about us, when we start returning good for evil, when we start becoming forgiving and patient and tender and thoughtful and considerate for those or with those who are stubborn and obstinate and selfish, then the loving presence of God rises up. And the world sees it as pretty crazy, but it's God's love. Most men and women and children today are not acquainted very much with the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But everyone that meets you and I can become acquainted with the gospel of Jesus Christ according to us if we love them as God loves them. If they can see God's love in us and working, they'll know who God is. There's a true story about a man named John Griffith who lived in Oklahoma in 1929 and he lost all that he had in the stock market. And so he moved to Mississippi where he got a job as a bridge tender for a railroad trestle that ran over a river where in 1937 he was involved in a horrific accident. One day, his eight-year-old son, Greg, spent the day with him at work. And Greg poked around around the bridge tender office and kind of, you know, John Griffith was at work and at some point um, he saw a ship coming up, so John went to the tender, began to uh, raise up the drawbridge. After a moment, he realized that his son wasn't in the office and he couldn't find him. And to his horror, he saw his son Greg climbing around the gears of the drawbridge. He hurried out to rescue his son, but just then he heard he knew what was coming up was an approaching passenger train, the Memphis Emphasis, which had 400 peoples on the train. So he yelled out to his son, and the noise was... uh, pretty much more than they could hear with both the ship coming and a train at the same time. All of a sudden, John Griffith realized 
he had a horrible choice to make. The drawbridge needed to close, and if he took the time to rescue his son, the train would crash, killing 400 people. But if he closed the bridge, he would sacrifice his son. It was then John Griffith made the difficult decision to pull the lever and close the bridge. It was said that as the train went by, all the faces of the passengers, some people were reading, some people were just looking out, some people even waved, uh, not aware, oblivious to the deep pain of sacrifice that had just happened. We live in that kind of world. We do. We live in a world where many, if not most, know nothing of the loving sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And every place we go, we see hundreds and thousands of people who are getting ground up in the gears of sin and death. We need to be a light. We need to be that love that they can see action in work, in love. We need to be channels of having the experience of, of love in our lives. The only way that we can see God's love is when we love God and we love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Love is perfected when we are sacrificially loving one another. Because God is love, because God sacrificially loved and continues to love us, because we were created that way. The love of God is perfected when it's visible in us. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing, but it's probably pretty rare. In being created in the image of God, we have within us the ability to do that, though. I believe this morning God is calling us to that. God alone, brothers and sisters, is the source of true love. Anything else is abortive. God's love is the only kind that satisfies the human heart. I pray that God would fill our hearts and our souls with his love so that we might recognize the reality of who we were created for and that from there we would be a demonstration of what it means to love sacrificially like Jesus did. I also pray that we would not only take this Love, another, uh, love each other seriously, but also do it immediately and not put it away. Because God is love and because he loved us, we can, we can love one another. Loving God and loving like God is what we were created for. I read two texts as we, as we finish. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes, Put on then as God's chosen ones, 
holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Amen? Amen. Father, we bless you today as a God who loves us. And Lord, I think, I think too often we're just too familiar with that word and we use it loosely. I pray that the, the weight and the joy of all of this would saturate us and we would be a people of God who are loving. And our love, Lord, is actually uh, the thing that can win anything. It's, it's perfect, we hear. It's, it gives us perfect harmony. It is the thing, Lord, that, uh, that drove uh, Jesus to the cross. It is the thing that saves us. And Lord, it is the thing that you are and is the thing that we are to be. So Lord, we even ask uh, this morning you would begin to do that work in our lives, in our church, in our families, in our world, in a, in a messy place. But in the midst of it all, just like you did, Lord, we can rise up with you and be an image of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.